You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual-Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. Oh, the gang's all here. It's good. Um, yes. So, Rebecca, the last time uh, we chatted, I think you had a Toyota Sienna, which I then got to enjoy. I the did have very the next Toyota week. Sienna. Yes, and did you enjoy it? Not so much. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> What happened? Uh, it just, it's not a bad van. It's the only all-wheel drive van, but um, boy, does it feel old. It is old. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We- that, that was that was my biggest takeaway. It was just like, wow, this thing does feel, it does, it does, so all the new Toyotas are on the, mostly on the, the new TNGA architecture, and they feel pretty good from behind the wheel. This one, it it's okay, but it just it feels not as solid and just to ha- like all the parts are there. You know, it has a suspension, it has an engine, <laughs> the steering wheel turns the wheels, but nothing really works in well, harmony. I tell so it you, sounds like thing, you got everything. Yeah, it, it, yeah. One thing it doesn't have is any kind of fold flat uh, storage. Like that's what I think. That's what we had talked about before. Was where yeah. the seats. Like, and, and I apologize, I don't think I've sent you the pictures, but the seats wouldn't go all the way, uh, like they wouldn't go out of the way, like they just went up, it 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 cut down, I think, I think I said we couldn't fit a um, queen size mattress, we had to like fold it. Yeah, uh, yeah I remember you talking about I that. Which I was really surprised about. Yeah, the, so the third row does, There's it folds down into the well, right. but the second row is just like always there. I guess you, you can remove them, but yeah, they're but also very heavy. They're, it's like 50 pounds or something. And then what yeah. do you do with it? It's just, right. again, it, it's representative of the age, I think. Yeah, and and because it's an all-wheel drive van, I noticed that the, the powertrain makes a bit of noise. Like you can hear it whine a little For bit, sure. the transfer case, um, which was uh, curious to me. Uh, I I also discovered because I was writing an article about trail braking. Um, so I was like, well, let's see what this technique is all about. You can trail brake a Sienna. <laughs> it's not but happy I, about I it. I have to read your article. I don't know what trail okay. braking so, is. So trail braking <laughs> is a racing technique where 
Um, like normally when you're driving on a, on a track or high performance driving, you're, you're taught to you scrub off all your speed in a straight line. And then you turn the wheel. So you, if you're right. coming up to a corner, right, you're like, you slow down in a straight line, you let yeah. off the brake, you turn and accelerate. Right. Yeah, Trail because, braking. Because what happens is as, you know, as you're braking, you're getting weight transfer onto the front wheels. Right. Sure. And you only want to ask one thing of your, your front tires, especially at a time. So you want them to either steer or turn, but you're leaving traction on the, the table that way, like unused traction. So the idea with trail braking is you, you start that braking in a straight line, you initiate it in a straight line, but you turn. And then, you know, by doing that, you'll, you'll upset the balance a little bit. You'll, you know, the, you'll either understeer or oversteer and you let off the brake pedal at that point, And that corrects the balance. So okay. you're, you're using all of your available traction. So basically like if you're going for an exit ramp, you approach it really fast and you wait until the last second and you brake really hard and you turn the wheel and the things will do what it does. It'll either kick the back end out or it'll understeer a little bit and you let off the brake and it, it, you know, by letting off the brake, the front wheels will grab again and you know, you get that traction back and boy, does the stability control really, really hate it. <laughs> Have you been watching me drive again? No. <laughs> and it's a hard technique to master. You know, like you think like heel toe shifting is hard. Uh, this is harder than yeah, heel toe shifting. It, 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 is, it, is, it is challenging to get just right. And, you know, every vehicle is going to behave a little differently with trail braking. Some respond to it, some don't. Because, you know, ultimately the grip that your tires have, either longitudinal or lateral, like, you know, straight ahead or, or side to side, is a function of not only the the, the ultimate friction of the the tire but also the normal force the weight on that tire and when you're braking you're unloading the uh, the rear axle a little bit and you know as, as you if you stay on the brakes as you start to turn your rear wheels are unloaded a little bit so you've got less force pushing those tires down and so there's going to be less lateral grip so it's going to allow the back end to slide around a little bit more than it otherwise would if you get off the brakes entirely in a straight line before you turn. And, you know, that's, that's one of the, the cool things like with the Honda Civic Type R that we talked about last time, um, you know, especially when you're driving it on the track, you can, it's really amenable to, to trail braking. I was going to say, I bet that thing trail brakes nice. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, you, by, just by the way you modulate the, the brake pedal, you know, as you're going into a turn, you can, you can, overcome you know pretty much any understeer that you might have with that thing and, and bring the back end around with the brake pedal you know, yeah before you get and, back and on the gas to accelerate out that's a thing that and i don't want to go too far down the, the driving technique rat hole but like it's a thing that is really handy with um a front wheel drive car especially because of the weight balance and everybody complains that front wheel drive understeers basically everything understeers because understeer is safer even if you really overdo it and you plow off the road nose first, guess what? That's the safest way to crash. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it allows you to sort of upset that balance a little bit because you're playing with where the weight is. And, and it, it apparently for really good drivers, it's faster to trail brake than it is to use that traditional method usually. So, so is this what you were doing so. in the Sienna? It was. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, some of what it was, uh, and we, we also used it as a family vehicle and it excels in that respect. Although it's not, it's the only all wheel drive van you can buy right now. Um, it's not really the best van. It's not, it's okay to drive. It's certainly like my wife commented, she's, she got in, she's got, I want to take this on a trip. Uh, but also like, I don't, 
<laughs> uh, it's not quite as comfortable, certainly, as the Pacifica, uh, which I, well, I think yeah, is probably the nicest van. Yeah, that's a beautiful van. Yeah. Um, sure. And there's no hybrid version like there is of the Pacifica, which I, I think is to his detriment. Uh, although, you know, the Sienna gets decent fuel economy. Performance is not really anything you're going to really get concerned about with a, a van as long as they, they can all you know keep up and stay out of their own way it, it drives okay uh which is not really again not a ton of concern but you do notice like when you get in like an odyssey and you go wow this has that honda spirit in it where i bet i bet the odyssey trail breaks better <laughs> <laughs> um it's probably, there's, there's more it's probably more predictable because you don't have the all-wheel drive yeah yeah that's probably it's it, that's the thing too like it's hard to with the all-wheel drive i think it's probably hard to do too much high performance driving and this thing is completely unsuited for it uh to begin with um and, yeah there were a couple of things that i was kind of annoyed by but they're just like details right? like there's certainly the the interior quality the nav system and infotainment not good it got lost which is i haven't had a nav system get lost in a while uh so <laughs> that was Kind of like, really, guys? Like, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, in their defense, maybe it was old maps or something, but still. Um, and so I had the power doors on it and I dropped the kids off at school uh, a few times. Um, and every time my my son's getting out of the, the, the sliding door and it like I'll press the button and it'll beep, but it won't actually open. So he's got this really heavy door like it's back in the 70s with like the VW microbus. <laughs> he's got to like slam it shut. And I was like, well, that that's weird. What's going on? Well, it turns out that it protects you from yourself so much that when you leave it and drive, the power doors don't work. And oh, you know, it only works no. when you're in park. Right. So I'm going through the, oh. the drop off line at school and I'm like, I'm not I'm just stopping for a minute. He's just getting out. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together until the very last day. Wow. <laughs> so it's interesting because I had an issue with the doors not working also. And it would beep and not do anything. And right. and we yeah. had to do it manually. Well, it turns out that what happened to me was at some point, the switch or the button to turn all those off is right, right at your knee. Yeah, did you bump it? I bumped it at some point. So when yeah. I went digging for the fuse box, which is actually what I was looking for, <laughs> I discovered the magic button. And so, <laughs> because it just, yeah. everything just stopped working. And, and as you say, it's, those, those doors weigh a ton. Nothing yeah. with the tailgate wouldn't work. Nothing would work. And it's the ergonomics of where that button is that I just happened to hit it at some point in time. So, yeah, so yeah. It's, it needs a it's reason. It's a van. It's, it's the Toyota of vans. So it's, it's good. It'll probably be trouble free in that sense. But I think if you were to shop across all of the other available vans, you know, the, the Odyssey, the, uh, even the, what's the Kia, the, um, Sedona. Sedona that I, it looks pretty, but it's surprisingly not as good as you'd think, at least the last time I drove one, which was a few years ago. Uh, but certainly the Odyssey and the Pacifica, you cross shop them with the Sienna. Uh, if you really need all wheel drive, I suppose it's your only choice. But otherwise, I would not pick the Sienna. Yeah. One yeah, of my friends. I'm sorry, ahead, Rebecca. One of my girlfriends has the Sienna. I uh, and man, that thing has been through the ringer. She's got four of my favorite little humans on the earth. Those, that's who I went to Disney with. And they actually drove their Sienna from upstate New York all the way down and back again without any problems at all. It probably has, I'm guessing, 
maybe 80,000 miles on it, 90,000. And, you know, the kids have just absolutely destroyed the interior. (laughs) As they do. As they do. But to your point, you know, it's incredibly reliable. I mean, that thing just hums right along. And so Toyota. It is. Yeah. It's the Toyota and living in upstate New York. I, I have to ask if they have all wheel drive. They, she probably does because she's a physician. And so it's one of the, I think they have a Subaru, they had a forerunner. Uh, and then I think they have the, this one. And so, you know, it's one of those, when you have to get to work, when you have to get to the hospital, you yep. do, but I'll ask her, but well, she should have a Volkswagen Beetle. Isn't that what the plow driver drives <laughs> to the plow? <laughs> I'm dating myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, the, I mean, the Sienna is, you know, it's tons of reliability. It's a Toyota, but it is. it's definitely time for a redo. I would expect that we'll probably see a new Sienna sometime in 2020 after they launch the uh, uh, the new um, Highlander. Uh, the new Highlander should be launching uh, either late this year or early in the new year. Uh, they showed it at the New York Auto Show last spring. And, um, you know, that that updated version of the platform will probably be the basis for the, the new Sienna, you know, oh, yeah. in the past. So that's so right. I, I forgot the Highlander hasn't been updated either. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's, that's coming. We, you know, they, they unveiled it in New York and I'm, I'm surprised that they, Toyota doesn't typically show new vehicles that far in advance of launch. And I can't remember if it's launching late this year or early in 20, but it, it it's coming soon. And sometime after that, we'll probably see the Sienna. In fact, we may even see the Sienna at the LA Auto Show next month. That would be that would be logical. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll expect it, and then we'll be disappointed if it doesn't show up. Let's <laughs> um, just say, and they replaced it. I I got a Subaru Ascent on the other side of that, which really sort of pointed out how sort of lacking in in control integration the uh, Sienna was, because the, the Subaru drives like all of the different groups were talking to each other at least on one day. You know, the the uh, <laughs> suspension strokes and the steering, it all kind of works a lot more in harmony. Um, and it, it's the so the and the Ascent doesn't have the newest version of Subaru's infotainment, um, but it's it's better than than what was in the Sienna. It's it, the last time I drove one was, I guess, about a year ago. And I, I think the the impression holds up where it's the biggest Subaru. It's it's quite large, actually, but it's a little bit more narrow than some of its competitors or it feels that way anyway. So it's actually pretty easy to to place it in parking spots and stuff. Um, but, you know, three rows, uh, well thought out, um, not a whole lot of of uh, real criticism to make in terms of it being a family vehicle other than like kind of tough to go from a van to a not a van and be like (laughs) i don't i don't understand why people who need three rows don't buy a van after spending a week in a van (laughs) it make you know especially if you have younger kids you know that you have to strap into car seats i have never understood why anyone would choose an suv over a van in that case because you know the van you've got the lower floor it's just easier to reach in and and strap the kids in to get them out you know as opposed to you know reaching up to get them into a utility. Yeah, and vans we clearly like, have never been a Greenwich mom. I'm just going to oh, say that. <laughs> well, apparently I not. mean, and a Greenwich mom, like really what you want is an R class. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, actually what you want is a Range Rover, but that's another story. But no, I oh. think, you know, I mean, you can look back historically and a lot of Gen Xers really like, especially, well, they, they just like their SUVs. 
I think well, people because are I mean, I agree with you completely. I don't have any kids, but I agree with you completely. I, a, a van is much more practical. Yeah, yeah, well, it just, it just goes to show you that humans are not rational when it comes to buying no, vehicles. Absolutely not. Like as I'm, I'm the very tail end of Gen X, like the last three years. But uh, we, as a generation, um, <laughs> we sort of grew up in minivans. My my half of Generation X is say where the earlier half of Generation X was station wagons. And no, you're right. And, the boomers certainly had station wagons and and so boomers are my parents and, and I'm, they, the, I'm the upper half of gen x so d- wow well i am gen too i am too and and actually my when i took my parents on the chrysler uh chrysler town and country launch in like 2006 i think it was my mother had never been in a minivan in a minivan really <laughs> really She's like, wow, this would have come in handy when she had eight children. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, no shit, mom. <laughs> yeah, they, had, they had really never spent any time in a minivan. And she loved it. It was really cute, actually. Um, yeah. And it's like, that's the thing. Like they were the boomers were definitely station wagon parents. And, uh, you know, when, as a kid, we had wagons. But I remember very like distinctly when the caravan came out, I was like, well, that thing's cool to my like six or seven year old self. <laughs> Um, but, but like we, we were carried around in those things. So our reaction against that, uh, certainly as parents, I think has been the crossover and SUV for, for, you know, for a variety of other reasons too. They're popular. Um, but the ascent really like it, it sits, it, it throws about the same shadow as a minivan would, but it you, you give up something for that, um, that form factor, but in, in its competitive set, I, I think it's, it's pretty good. What I, I didn't really like about it was um it it didn't get great fuel economy because i think it has the 2.4 liter turbo um and it, it it so it was like 22 miles to the gallon it it, it consumed more fuel than i thought it would because subarus these days are generally pretty efficient but i i think without without a turbocharged engine it would be kind of pokey um it, it would get better economy but it wouldn't keep up quite as well as it does and the the cvt in it is probably also not the newest iteration because at certain situations like part throttle at like 30 miles an hour, you can feel it like hunting. Like I'm going to give it a little throttle. I'm going to back off. When to give it a little throttle, I'm going to back off. It's like the electronic uh, throttle was programmed weird. It, it couldn't just relax. <laughs> so it's this weird pulsation. I wonder if, and I agree with you. I, I could, I was the fuel economy does make sense. I haven't driven the Ascent yet, but I do think that that vehicle needed a turbo. But I love that size for the Subaru brand. You know, oh, it's perfect. It really is. I mean, it's exactly what Subaru owners want. But, you know, you made me think of something else. I wonder, I've been playing around and trying to put every vehicle that I get, I've been trying to use the adaptive cruise control and pretty consistently. And I think this happened in the Sienna as well or no i'm sorry it was in the rav4 hybrid that i had i i get car sick yeah yeah so toyotas tend to do that to me um the sienna didn't have great adaptive cruise these the ascent actually does have pretty good adaptive cruise the eyesight system is pretty good their lane centering sucks but i don't generally like lane centering yeah. anyway but i wonder um, if the cvt is what's making me a little bit more car sick because i've used adaptive cruise in other vehicles and have not gotten car sick I I don't know. I I struggle with that too. I think it tends to to do with a lot of factors. Yeah. Just how it's yeah. going to sort of modulate the acceleration coasting when it actually mm-hmm. has to use the brakes. A lot of cars they'll 
they'll be when you use the adaptive cruise they turn into like binary drivers they're accelerating yeah, or they're right breaking. yeah they're not coasting yeah, <laughs> the well, germans most, do it most the best. newer cars you know a lot of the earlier acc systems did that quite a bit you know they would break really hard or very abruptly right most newer ones are a lot smoother you know they'll start gradually bleeding off speed earlier um you know part of the challenge there you know is you know the you, customers you know complained in the past, you know, of ACC systems that would leave too big a gap to the car in front. And then, you know, they'd always get cut-ins. And so, you know, as a result, you know, they, because they, they didn't want to follow too close, you'd get cut-ins and then the car would back off. And, you know, that was one of the problems that you often had. Um, you know, newer ones, you know, tend to be a lot smoother um, in part because they're, they're, you know, they've got better engine control you know, to, to manage the, the throttle speed and, and, you know, they can use the transmission and the brakes and, and all of this to control the speed more smoothly um, than they, than they could in the past. Yeah, and I and think actually putting... with a CVT, if you're going to um, use the transmission as part of it, it's probably smoother because it can just, it can seamlessly yeah. go to a lower gear ratio. There's no step. Mm. So right. they can just, they can just ramp it up. The so other, maybe, They're know. also putting those, uh, the distance, adjusters in a much more intuitive place now too yep and so you're able to fix because that's one of the things i run into especially in the new york area where people just cut in and they're such aggressive drivers and everybody follows really closely that but i have noticed the last couple of vehicles that i've had it's much easier to adjust that gap what is it called you called it something much more technical just, <laughs> no just the gap yeah. Space cushion. <laughs> the space cushion. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the other thing too is with Toyota, um, you know, some manufacturers, um, including Toyota, they always default, you know, each ignition cycle, it'll reset back to the maximum gap. Whereas oh. others will remember whatever the last gap you used was, like in our, mm. our Civic. Right. Um, you know, if you set it at the shortest gap, you know, the next time you use it, when you turn it on, that's, that's what's what you get. It, it remembers your preference. And Toyota always, re, you know, every time it resets it back to the maximum gap, and then you have to tap it down again if you want to shorten up that gap. That's uh, equal parts infuriating and probably admirably cautious. Yeah, and, you know, Toyota's, <laughs> a, 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 you know, a conservative company. And, you know, so they're going to, they tend on, on the side of caution with these things. Uh, but like you said, it, it can be annoying, you know, if, especially, you know, because the if you have the maximum gap, you know, then there's almost always plenty of room for somebody to slide into that gap. Well, yeah. yeah. And like, if, especially if you're paying for the thing, like I bought the thing, it should obey me, damn it. Yeah. And even even <laughs> at the shortest thing. gap, none of these things are real. None of these are, you know, following close enough to be considered tailgating. You know, there there's always more than enough room for it to stop. You know, unless unless the person in front of you panic stops, you know, you know, there's almost always enough room to, uh, you know, to, to safely slow down and, and maintain that gap. Well, see, that brings me to another thing. But I know there was Rebecca, you had another thing. So you, you say your other thing first. What, <laughs> what other thing? <laughs> I don't know. You said and another thing. Uh, no, because well, wanna... I was teasing you because oh. it's 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 an uh, old movie reference that I don't even remember what movie it's from. This thing and the other thing. Go ahead. Oh, All right. well, I was just going to say, speaking of panic stops, um, the <laughs> the um, 
the emergency braking systems. Have you guys ever had those just freak out and deploy like maximum stoppage? Yes. Uh, at, at, at the in worst fact, opportunity. In fact, the first time that happened to me was in a Subaru. Yeah. Like sometimes you'd be closing the gap, right? And you'll have to, you'll, it's heavy traffic or something and you'll go in like 30 miles an hour or something. And you just, you, you've got enough space, but you slide up on the car in front of you a little bit more than, than the, automatic emergency you know the collision mitigation system thinks is prudent and you just you ignore the beeping because you know what you're doing and then all of a sudden it just goes pow <laughs> it gives like maximum like full power stop and you're just like holy shit i'm gonna get run over by the truck behind me or whatever i have the uh, other i have terrifying. the other experience where i feel like it's just not gonna stop in time that's much more my feeling on when I'm oh, using ACC. Well, I, I, try, I try not to test them, but uh, well, I think you're, Dan, you're talking about automatic emergency braking, not ACC, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, uh, emergency I mean, braking. Yeah, with ACC, sometimes it does feel like it's not uh, because the the maximum deceleration you're going to get with ACC is you know, is only about 0.25 to 0.3 G's. Um, it's not going to do a panic stop with ACC. So there, you know, sometimes you you will find yourself, you know having to hit the brakes to slow down yeah but um you know i think what dan's talking about is automatic emergency braking where you know something slows down suddenly in front of you or run, you know cuts in front of you right and the, the system hammers on the brakes yeah, yeah it just gets fun. very confused and like you're that. just like <laughs> yeah well you know you know when i had that i actually had that happen most recently was in the ram uh when I was, earlier this summer when i was driving the ram 1500 and it, it actually happened at low speed when I was going to do some photography, the spot where I do some photography, um, you know, there's a, a path that goes off the road uh, into some tall grass. And they, uh, it was actually the, the, park, the parking sensors were picking up this tall grass. And as I was climbing up this little <laughs> hill, it slammed on the brakes from the tall grass, from detecting the tall grass around the vehicle. You know what? We had an issue at Laguna Seca with this. When really in the in the yes, you just remind me when you were saying that like that kind of random thing. Um, we were in Jeep Grand Cherokee Hemis, and when you come uh, out of the straightaway, so you you coming out of the straightaway and you start to head up the hill. Oh no, I lie. It was at Coda. It was. It's the same setup where you're coming. Um, the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, where you're coming down the straightaway. And then as you head up the hill, it's a pretty sharp hill. And the emergency braking was stopping, thinking the hill was an obstacle. And of course, you're going like 100, 110. And so, you know, we're, we were going fast. <laughs> and so they had to turn them all off because everyone was like being thrown against the. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things that make you car sick. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that, enough about me. Um, so Rebecca, it looks like you had the Audi Q8, which is lovely, a lot better looking than the Subaru Scent. I did. Which, which doesn't, it, the Subaru doesn't look bad, but the Audi looks really, really good. You know, the Q8, it's sort of, anytime that a, that a brand does these kind of SUV coupe-like vehicles, I'm just a sucker for them. I, I Except love the Q8 it. is like the least coupe-like of, of all of those. It is, but it's this like... It's still a sort of the bad boy version of the Q7, right? It's kind of like that, you know, it has all of the amenities. It has all of the the beauty and the technology and the and the fit and finish and performance and all these positives uh, that the Q7 has. But in a 
just an ever so slightly smaller package and just a lot of fun to drive. I mean, actually, some of the pictures that I took of it, it sort of reminds me of the Lamborghini Urus. Like it's kind of has well, that. Because it is. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> For a third of the price. Um, the, the one thing I will say I was so I, I was shocked about on the Q8 was that it starts nearly $14,000 more than the Q7. I didn't. Well, I yeah. Didn't, I mean, you got to pay more for less. I didn't. <laughs> well, I, so for comparison's sake, so, so the Q7 starts at, at, at 53,000, which of course isn't what most of them sell for, but, but the Q8, you can't even get in the door for one for less than 67,000. And by contrast, so I looked up the X5. So the X5 starts at 58.9 and the X6 starts at 64.3. I mean, $6,000 more is a lot, but $14,000? I just, I don't know. That that sort of, that stunned my little sensibilities. But but it was it was beautiful. I loved it. I, the, did it, did it I feel worth it. it? Well, you know, actually, I haven't driven... I'm trying to remember the last time I drove a Q7, but from a performance, from a a very emotional side of things, I absolutely loved that Q8. I absolutely loved it. I will say, and Sam, I meant to contact you before this because you know how I was complaining how the the XT4 was just really loose, and I'm and I don't have the right vocabulary to describe it, but it was almost like. It was too torquey, like it it jumped off the line and the steering sort of was a little bit uh, frantic and not quite tied to it and just this mm-hmm. weird sort of feeling to it. Yeah. The Q8 actually was almost slow off the line. Like it felt really heavy. I And, and I did like the steering because, as I said before, like when we were talking about the X-T4, I like a heavier feeling to a, to steering. but. I remember sitting at a four-way stop and I and I put my foot I didn't I didn't slam my foot on the accelerator. I was in a on a country road, but I just felt like I needed to really apply my foot to get the Q8 going. It was probably the only thing that I didn't absolutely love about it. In all driving modes or like this sort of default or in the, have driving modes? In the, in the default, um, oh gosh, you know, I just I just came out of the out of the Volvo XC90 and I did do the different drive modes in that one. Uh, well, that's interesting too. Like, how does it compare? Because they're not they're not exact competitors, but they're, they're certainly they're not close. exact competitors. So, and and you're right. It was very interesting to have the XC90 as well. The XC90 feels like a Greenwich mom car <laughs> and the Q8 doesn't. <laughs> the, the Q8 is for the dads. Now they're both beautiful. I mean, the interiors on both the vehicles are just stunning, but I felt very much like a mom in the XC90. <laughs> um, whereas in the Q8, I just felt more like a, single female badass <laughs> okay so. well I mean, the q eight's a little newer too so it's a little bit l- less ubiquitous um it's interesting looking at the pictures of the the q8 versus the the volvo and i think some of it probably comes down to feel yeah but the 
the Volvo interior just looks a lot nicer, a lot more premium in pictures. Um, you know, the Audi's theme with the brown seats and the black, everything else just in, in pictures, it doesn't come across as, as, as luxurious. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, it, I don't think it translates like that quite as much. I mean, I, you know, I was sort of a sucker for the cool lights that Audi's done. Um, and I, and I also prefer a lighter interior anyway. The brown, though, that was in the Q8 was just beautiful. Uh, but I do like that the XC90, I like the fact that all the seats are exactly the same, whereas they didn't cheap out on the second and third row. They're all, they're basically the same driver's seats throughout, yep. uh, which I did like. And, you know, I think... I know what you, I think the, the, I think the pictures when I'm, I'm looking back at the pictures also, because the Q8 did the same thing. They have the same seats as well. And I think that the materials are softer and a little bit more techy than in person than the XC90 is coming across. Cause the XC90 was gorgeous. It was just beautiful, you know, light interior, gorgeous, soft grays. Whereas the Q8 was a, a much darker interior, but yeah, it, it, the Q8 definitely looks sleek. It's got that large, and you know, you've we've talked about piano black. Yeah, yes, <laughs> well, and they whole... do provide a cloth to to wipe oh, everything do they, down. That, that's good. There's yes, going to need it. <laughs> You're going to need to do that regularly. Yes, yeah. exactly, and you do need to do that regularly. So I think that the I think the Audi is a little bit more on the tech side of things. Um, whereas the XC90, and maybe because it is a couple years older, I... No, it's... I don't think it's that, because I, I think it's more just, you know, the nature of what Volvo wants that vehicle to be. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of personality it has. It's not meant to be as techy, you know, or maybe as forward-looking, um, you know, as from an interior standpoint as, yeah. as what um, Audi wants to do. I agree. I, and I bet I bet the Audi drives better than the Volvo. You know, like, again, they, they drive differently. I mean, the Volvo, I this was the hybrid version. Right. I, I didn't the plug in hybrid actually, which I didn't take advantage of. And I and I this is a total side note, but I do need to see about I would like to get a charging station here at home to try it out a little bit more. Um the hybrid was lovely. It was a nice, quiet, you know, it was it wasn't exciting or anything. I mean, the Volvo was, you know, it it was it performed really well. It was definitely a, a nice premium experience. Um, the Audi is German, though, and it drives like a German car and, you know, it drives like a German SUV. It's it's much heavier. The feeling of it was much heavier. And, um, you know, I'd love to get it up to a decent speed. I didn't get that opportunity. Um, I'm probably still a little gun shy from my pullover the other day. <laughs> Oh, you got pulled over. Was it on the Merit? No, I got pulled over here in Greenwich in the um, when I had the little Honda Civic. Um, Oh, that's right. Yes, I'm trying to be a little bit more careful. Uh, But you know, again, it's they're two, they're apples and oranges. They're both really nice fruit, but they are different. (laughs) Um, To to what you were talking about earlier with the pricing, um, you know, as as you were talking, I was looking up the um, the prices, and you know. Yes, the Q8 starts at 67,400, but the standard powertrain in the Q8 is that twin turbo uh, V6 whereas or is it supercharged? I can't remember. 
Uh, at, at if rate, it's turbocharged, they'll say it's supercharged. If it's supercharged, yeah, they'll at, say it's with, turbocharged. Well, with Audi, you know, they call it that's, a 3.0 T even when it's supercharged. Right. Yeah, it, it says T, TFSI. Yeah. Uh, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just means it's boosted. In, in Audi's well, case, with the V6, I think right? it's actually supercharged. Um, <laughs> at any rate, um, the Q7, you know, for that 53000 starting price, it has the two-liter turbo. Does um, it really? Yes. Wow. That's going to suck, To get the, uh, the 3.0T, you have to step up to the, the top prestige trim level. Which has a sticker price of sixty eight sixty seven thousand Okay. So with the same engine, it's actually a couple hundred dollars more yeah, than that, the Q eight. So why would you ever want something like the Q seven with the the, the two point T? <laughs> well, because the because the price point, right? I mean, it's fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and think think about the way you know most people that are going to buy a Q seven are going to drive it. Yeah. You know, I. I've driven, you know, the Atlas with the 2.0T and it's a, it's a perfectly adequate engine. You know, most people buying a utility like that are not looking for high performance. You know, they're looking I for think, adequate performance and the, yeah, that, but they're but, just like in, in something that large and heavy, the, the, the EA 888, right. What's the max, the power that it makes like 260 horsepower. Uh, well, no, I mean, the, the version, uh, let me check what the one in, in in the Q7 is, but like the version that's in the in the Golf R is over 300 horsepower. Well, yeah, I was, I was know, discounting um, that. I don't yeah. think it's the Golf R engine. In the, but in the also, be, and before you go too much down that weed. Um, 248 in, uh, in the Q7. So, so, but also on that price point, though, Sam, because that's, that's the Q7 with the prestige package, right? Yeah. But then, but the Q8 is sixty-seven four, and then you have to add almost ten thousand dollars for the prestige package. Well, it's so the one that I drove was eighty-eight thousand six ninety. It's clearly got a more prestigious (laughs) prestige package. So, Uh, I mean, it's just it's a it's a big difference. Yeah, but that's like okay. So we're talking premium sort of coupe. SUVs, their crossovers or whatever they are, like that doesn't seem out of bounds. I, I, it, it would raise maybe one eyebrow to look at the sticker and be like, yeah, okay, it's well, expensive. Even even the base Q7, the premium. So Q7 is available in premium, premium plus, and prestige. Um, the premium with the 3.0T, which is optional, um, is uh, sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. I think so basically they, what you're saying is it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 you're spending a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. If you, if you get them, yeah, they're, they're, they're both expensive. And, you know, it, yes, there, there's a price difference there, but it's, it's not quite as much as, as uh, what you initially indicated. But it, if, you, if you line them up comparably equipped, then they're, they're a lot closer together. I think they probably also obfuscate a little bit in terms of that lineup, like the, the Q8. It, it looks very good. It looks very premium. It looks, you know, I think it has a little bit more presence than a Q7, which is also a good looking, you know, it's an Audi. So yeah, the, the, Q7, the Q7 is, you know, boxier looking. It's a little yeah. more sedate, you know, especially in in its current generation. The prior generation, you know, maybe, you know, a little, a little less of that than, than the, the current one. Yeah. So I think that they, they have slightly different missions. Right. Slightly different for sure. reasons for being. For um, sure. And just to finish up the discussion on the on the com- compare and contrast on the XC90, 
The one that I had was eighty six thousand. So these are so that, pricey, pricey T8? vehicles. Yeah, well, this and that one's T8 a plug-in hybrid e, too, right? E all-wheel drive inscription. Oh, the inscription. So yeah, yes. that, that's sort of. The, I think that's their yeah, top. That's the top of the line. Right. That's actually still. That's a good deal. Eighty six thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, because okay, so you look at that car, and it's loaded for eighty six k. It's got should stuff, be for eighty six k. Right. So, but you look at look at the Audi. There's at eighty eight k. There's probably options to go. I don't think so. Okay. It's, uh, maybe. Both, maybe. I, I, I didn't build. I didn't build the most expensive one. I don't know. I mean, this one right. has. The one that well, the I Audi's had, not a hybrid, not a, no, a plug-in no, hybrid. No, you're so. right. It's not. The one that I had had the 9,150 9, for the Prestige, 5,950 for the Luxury Pack, uh, which was leather seats, leather massaging seats, which was fabulous. Uh, that sounds um, nice. Extended leather package, Alcantara headliner, dual pane glass. And then there's 2,750 for the Adaptive Chassis Package. And then there was another few thousand. The cold weather pack is six hundred. Towing is six fifty. Polished wheels are a thousand. The CD wow. player is a hundred. <laughs> wow, they really get you. But it comes with a front filter panel, so I got that going for me. What the hell is a? Fr- <laughs> I have no idea. They specified okay. it out. I front, I'm looking oh, at the picture. It's a good looking panel. Car. Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. But so anyway, for, for what it's worth, the Lincoln Aviator Grand Touring Black Label yes. is also in that mid 80s right. price it range. Is. It so is. it's it's about a similar price, although it is it is more powerful, significantly more powerful than the Volvo. I think the yeah. Aviator is probably more powerful than anything else in the class. Um it's except like for like yeah, except horsepower. for like a Mercedes AMG. Uh, yeah that yeah yeah sure yeah um that maybe it's nice. about 500 you know just shy of 500 horsepower uh but like it's just the, the, so you can't they price an e-tron right or you know an, an audi hybrid so that's where i say like the volvo is a good deal because you get the you get the hybrid it's inscription trim there's really there's no options because it's loaded and it's it's hasn't cracked ninety thousand dollars which yes it's an expensive vehicle it's a premium vehicle but uh it it Again, it looks like a million. I just maybe it's just me, but I think it looks more expensive than it is, both inside and out. Um, and it's, it continues to be a really good value if luxury SUVs can be considered. A good <laughs> <value>. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful. I mean, the Volvo is absolutely beautiful, and I've said before, my sister drove hers absolutely into the ground, and you know, it's it's a really beautiful, elegant experience the only thing i was very surprised about and i actually have a little one minute video that we could i don't know if we can tack on or something is i was shocked it has this terrible mechanical voice when it comes to you know like the voice recognition system so when i press it and i would say you know take me home and then it would come back with there is no address like you know but it's this awful like I don't know, 2005 voice. I was shocked. Like there's no elegance to it. It's, it totally huh. broke up the experience. Uh, and just, and it was funny because I played it for my sisters too. And they were like, wait, what is that? Like, I know. 
Like That's I was expecting a Waze lady census. or something, you know, or right? Alexa. <laughs> well, census is going to be replaced soon with uh, a new uh, Android automotive based system that's launching on the Polestar 2 and on the XC40 electric. Oh, that's that's right. There's a website where you can play with it. Yeah. Well, my, my Android, I did, I will say my Android auto worked seamlessly. Um, I did have a couple of issues. I know we've talked about the, the Volvo system before, and, and when I had the XC40, I didn't have any problems with it. The XC90 was not as intuitive. It, took me a while to figure out how to turn down the radio and how to change it. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I think I messed up on the buttons the first time that I did it on the steering wheel controls. And so yeah. then I thought, Oh, that's not it. So then I didn't know where it was. <laughs> yeah. Because the knob is, uh, there's no knob. The knob is the fan knob, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so the yeah, knob, they, cha- they changed that on the XC 40, which is super annoying because you're not going to well, use that. I, I, mean, well, I mean, you know, most people aren't switching back and forth, you know, all the time. And so once you figure it out and, you know, in a given car, you're probably going to be driving that same car for a while. Yeah. But the volume though, I mean, you don't change yeah. the volume a lot in your car. Well, that I do. But okay. again, once you figure out where it is, you know, then no, once you figure out where it is, of course, uh, as with anything, as with any of these controls. So just, this, yeah, and the premium car makers are doing this a lot, where they're they're trying to change the paradigm. I'm I'm actually looking at the the photo of the XC90, and and I'm just remembering things that like when I spend a week with one of these, I spend most of the days like grabbing the wiper stock, <laughs> and looking oh, for the well, shifter. I turned or, I turned like, the car off three separate times today when I meant to to put the gear shifter. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was I was in a parking lot. And it was torrential rain. And I saw a spot that I, I was sitting there and I turned the engine off. I was talking to my sister and I said, oh, my gosh, there's a spot that's closer. So I'm not going to get quite as drenched. And I went. So I went to turn the car on and then uh, somebody put it, you know, somebody took the spot. And I was like, oh, darn. And I pressed the button, the gear slifter by mistake. Or and then one other time I turned it out, like I was like, yeah. it, it was it was annoying. This this let's have a different gear selector thing is driving me crazy. Well, yeah. at, at least they're all they're all doing the like push it forward to engage reverse, which like it takes getting used to for me. Like you got to engage reverse by pushing it forward and it's spring loaded. It comes back to like the center position, right. you pull it back. to go. So they're all kind of doing the same thing. So we're trained on the sort of pull it down. Like, and they all go in a line. So I think some of that is just what we're used to. And, and if you were to own it, you'd you'd quickly you get do used get to used it. to it but but i still it's i still don't like the fact that it takes me like two moves to get it into drive yeah, yeah that's that's the the big issue i, I don't like that all those is that you have to double tap it to get it yeah. into either drive or reverse a single right, tap the, puts you in neutral right right the wasted motion good. drives me bonkers right well, well and, and if you don't do the double tap you know now you're in neutral and if you let your foot off the off the brake pedal you're going to start rolling yeah. And that's not good either. Exactly. Yeah. My driveway, my upper driveway is very steep and it comes into almost a blind turn. Like if the person is not paying attention, if you see, if you're paying attention, you can see me coming as I backing down, but I have to practice the gear selector 
for every car because I have to be driving. I have to get going really fast. And that Volvo, and you're absolutely right, Sam, I ended up in neutral a number of times, especially when I first got it. And then as you say, as as with anything, you get used to it, but it still is just, I feel like it is a, it is a bit of a safety issue. The other thing that I was very surprised about was, um, and you know what, I have to make sure it was in the Audi. Did you guys have, I'm sorry, it was in the, the, um, it was in the XC90. The, the backup camera I thought was really dark at night. I don't know if, have you guys had this experience at all with it? It's been a while since I drove the XC90, so I don't remember. How some of them are really well lit. Yeah, usually there's um, there's usually some sort of brightness control somewhere where you can adjust that. Oh, hmm. it, like yeah. in the display. You know, so what, let me really see. Really, what you should do is find out who had the car before you, so you can yell at them for the settings they left. No, yeah. you know what? I apologize. It it was <laughs> it was actually the Audi that had a really dim backup camera, and huh. the Volvo had a really bright one. Cause I took pictures of each of them. Cause I was really surprised. And I was at the same, again, I was at my sister's and dropping off something at night. And I was really pleasantly surprised at how well the Volvo, how much lighter it was, but the Q8, I was disappointed with that. Hmm. Um, uh, on the, the topic of value, um, I've gone through and priced out the Q8 prestige with all the available options. Yes. Which which adds another twenty grand to the price <laughs> and <laughs> ends up at ninety seven thousand nine hundred and forty. Oh. <laughs> well, that's that's, that's including six thousand for the uh, the first first year edition with the Valcona leather. Is that, is that where oh you give them your firstborn? Sh- oh, first uh, yes. year edition, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, but hey, uh, it's under a hundred and it's less than the Urus. And it's much yeah. prettier. <laughs> That's true. The Urus the is so disappointing. Like as a Lamborghini, like I, when I like Lamborghini was always the Kuntak and the Miura. And like those, the Urus the is not to me. It's like, I don't, I don't care how good it is. It's not a Lamborghini. It looks like a friggin' Audi. It's just, <laughs> it looks like an Aztec. It's so dumb. So it looks like the Pontiac it's Aztec. Just, I mean, and I hate the LMO 002, but like, at least that thing's just appropriately bonkers. And these Lamborghinis are not, I don't know. No, just wait till you see what Ferrari is going to do with an SUV. I, <sighs> I know. Man. And w- w- fine. Whatever. Sam, what, like, you, what were you driving? <laughs> uh, I had the uh, Lexus LS500H. Well, that's uh, a lovely car. It, it is, except for that trackpad. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that is not yeah. a lovely trackpad. And uh, uh. Uh, it's it interesting, you know. 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, when they initially introduced the LS hybrid, and at that time it was the LS 600H, um, you know, they, they paired the hybrid system with a V8 as opposed to the V6 that they have this time. And, you know, it's like in the review I wrote for Autoblog at the time, you know, I, I made the case because it was it was like about a 20, almost I think it was about a $16,000 premium for the hybrid on the LS back then. Right, but it was and, like V12 performance, though. Uh, yeah, close to Ish. it. But, you know, Ish. but it but it only got, you know, like three or four miles per gallon more. Or if that no, was even, I think it was even less than that. Right, because the point well, the point wasn't the fuel economy. There, right, right, well, that, and that was why they badged it as an LS600 
you know, as opposed to, you know, the, the 460, because you had the LS460 base one at the time, and then the 600, because they, they were using the hybrid system as a performance enhancer, uh, you know, to try to replicate, you know, like V12 performance, um, you know, without having to do a V12. You know, this time, you know, it really is more of a fuel economy play relative to the, the standard LS500. Um, you know, and, and this, you know, this generation of LS, is the first one that doesn't have a V8 engine, you know, 30 years of, of LS, you know, that the LS, you know, and the ES were the first two Lexuses back in 1989. And this time, for the first time ever, there's no V8. There's the twin turbo V6 and the hybrid. And, you know, the hybrid is, you know, really significantly more fuel efficient, um, which, which is, which is interesting, you know, that they've gone this direction and they're, they're actually doing the same thing with the new Highlander. You know, the, the Highlander, um, when that comes out, um, you know, the current generation Highlander uses a V6 with its hybrid, and the new one is switching to a, a 2.4 liter four-cylinder um, to get, you know, get all the fuel economy. But, you know, on, the, on this LS, um, you know, this is the same powertrain that was in the LC500 hybrid I drove last year, I think. And, you know, it's actually quite good. And it, it they... This is, you know, this is actually quite a different hybrid system for Toyota that they put in these two in the LC and the LS. It's a new generation. And uh, interestingly, it's, it's actually a lot like, you remember the, uh, the two-mode hybrid system that GM had in their trucks and SUVs back 10 years ago? Yes. This is very much like that because you've got the, the two-motor uh, hybrid system plus uh, a four-speed planetary gear set um, you know, attached to that. And so, you know, higher, you know, higher speeds, highway speeds, you know, it can, you know, shift different ranges. Toyota calls it their multi-stage hybrid or, you know, Lexus calls it a multi-stage hybrid. And it's conceptually basically the same as the old GM two mode hybrid system, you know, with clutches that can, uh, you know, lock the, lock the motors, you know, at higher speeds for, you know, more efficiency. And, Seems like they they might have actually done it right compared to what GM did, um, you know, because it's actually getting quite a bit better fuel efficiency, um, you know, and also maintaining you know decent performance with the thing. And it's it's still an LS, so beyond the trackpad, yeah. it probably doesn't have any other faults. No, I mean, you know, th- this is far and away the best looking LS ever. You know, I th- I think it's a great looking car, you know, and it's got some of the cues that that first appeared on the LC. You know, in terms of the way they've executed the, the the fascia and that spindle grill, you know, I think it on these two cars it actually you know works really well, and you know at, at the back end, you know, it's more more tapered, um, you know, I hate to use the word coupe like, but you know, more more of a fast back design than than Would before. Would you say it has a fast C pillar, right? A yeah. fast C pillar. Uh, right. Yeah, and and uh, you know, more sculpted sides. It's it's a much more interesting car than any prior generation of the LS. Um, you know, and it, and it drives really well and it's got some, got some interesting features to it as well. Like the, the ADAS stuff that's on this thing. Um, one of the things they've done, you know, a lot of cars now have uh blind spot monitor systems that use a pair of short range radar sensors in the rear corners and the rear bumper, uh, on either side, the LS actually adds a pair of the same sensors at the front corners. And it's got this massive heads-up display, really big heads-up display. And when you're at an intersection, if somebody's approaching from either side, um, it will 
you know, it will detect, you know, that there's somebody coming and you'll actually see arrows flashing across the HUD in front of you, indicating which direction somebody's coming from. So if there's somebody coming from your left, you know, as you're say, as you're about to go through an intersection or even just make a left turn, if there's somebody coming from the left that you didn't notice, it'll pick that up and, you know, flash these bright yellow arrows in front of you that, um, you know, will let you know that, hey, you know, pay attention, there's somebody coming there. That's and, really cool. Yeah. And, you know, the the other thing, too, if you're using the the adaptive cruise control and, and the lane centering system um, in, in the HUD, you know, it shows you where the, the lane marker, the, where the lanes are. And if you're coming up to a curve, it actually detects, you know, it, the graphic, you know, it's actually animates the, the curve, you know, to show you that you're, you're fault, you're going into a curve and following a curve, um, you know, just in case you weren't paying attention as you, as you actually should be. Uh, but, you know, these little detail touches that are kind of cool. So how yeah. do you feel about lane centering, though? Like, um, I've I've never, never found a system that I like. Yeah, I mean, on, on the high, when it when it works well, when it when it's done well, um, you know, on, on highway driving, it can be it can be a nice add on, um, you know, that, you know, really keeps you keeps you centered if it if it's done properly. Like, you know, obviously Cadillac Super Cruise is far and away the best of these systems. You know, it, it you know, just locks you into the middle of the lane and just, you know, it's it keeps you where you want to be. Um, and it's, you know, it's the only one that's currently designed as a hands-off system. Um, the system that Mercedes has on the current S-Class and the E-Class is almost as good. Um, you know, the Toyota, the, the Lexus system, is quite good you know if the if the the if the curve you know is fairly mild it'll follow it but if it starts to bend in a little tighter it will it will not stay in the lane it will drift outwards um the uh, actually one of the, the other best systems out there now is the copilot 360 plus that they have on some ford and lincoln vehicles now that one actually works really well, but all of these systems are designed as hands-on systems. They're not designed like Super Cruise for hands-off. They don't have any driver monitoring system, and you know they're they're primarily just relying on the torque sensor and the steering wheel to detect if your hands are on the wheel, and if you know if then you know if you take your hands off the wheel, it'll start you know pestering you to put your hands back on the wheel, and then um, it'll disengage eventually. Yeah, it'll eventually disengage. Uh, so you know it's. I think it's it's a nice um you know it's it's a nice feature you know for for long highway trips you know where your attention may start to drift a little bit you know to help you know keep the vehicle centered in the lane and and like I say for for the systems that are actually labeled as lane centering you know that's that's definitely a good thing lane keeping assist I'm less enamored with you know because most of them just don't really work that reliably maybe it's um, the lane keeping ones that I always fight with yeah. I always like I get, you know, uh, I'll make a correction. I'll be close enough to the line that they give me that overzealous bit of steering input. I'm like, would you knock it off? Yeah. It's so like nonlinear. And, and, and you know, that's, that's the problem with those. It's exactly it. They are nonlinear. The lane centering systems tend to be more linear because they're, they're trying to tr actually track the center of the lane and they generally won't let you get that far off the center of the lane. Um, you know, if, you know, if you're, you know, if it's a, a little twist, you're more curving road where, you know, you may be trying to, you know, 
you hit the apexes a little bit, then yes, you're definitely going to be fighting it. You don't, and you, you know, you should just turn off the system when you're in those kinds of situations where you know that you're not going to be fall, necessarily following right down the center of the lane. But for just you know typical highway driving, it's fine. It's it's a nice it's a nice addition to the system. And so, you know, at at, at ninety six grand, you know, it's actually cheaper than the LS six hundred was ten years ago. So I'm about actually, ten grand. I'm actually getting the LS five hundred all wheel drive tomorrow. The hybrid or the, the no, gas? Just the gas one. I think it's just the gas one. It's got a sticker of one hundred eight thousand nine hundred. Ooh, I know. It's got the yeah. three point five liter twin turbo. Okay, so yeah, that's just the gas one. The, oh, that that engine is it's like I that one stomps down the road though. Yeah, I really a, like that engine. Has a seventeen, and I I apologize. I'm going to rustle paper here for a second. Uh, this has a seventeen thousand dollar executive package option. Oh, oh so that's uh, that's got the the nice uh, back seat on the the passenger side with the footrest and. Does it uh, have the fridge? Put, you can. Uh, no, it's got multifunction massage, ultra suede headliner, power front seat buckles. Massaging and, headliner? Yes, massaging <laughs> headliner. <laughs> the, the misplaced now That's comma. impressive. <laughs> multifunction massage, comma, ultra suede headliner, comma, power front <laughs> seat buckles, and heated I rear I think you just seats. made the point for the Oxford comma scene. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, we've got um, the four-zone climate concierge. Mm. Is that, so that's the extended wheelbase, then, right? Or do they do they I still? Don't, I don't think they do an extended wheelbase do, anymore. Right, yeah, okay. it doesn't. Not in North America, America first, anyway. The first LS I ever got when I was writing for Autoblog was the extended wheelbase with um, the executive package, and like it was, I didn't have a lot of experience with cars like that at that point. So it's like. <laughs> We put the kids to bed and then we just went out and sat in it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> in the driveway. It's like, wow. Recli- the reclining rear thing? seats with the footrests that come up and everything. Yeah. It was, it has like little lazy boys in it. it yeah. yeah. It was, it's an impressive car. That's really cute. Um, Yeah. And, but like, so I look at the LS and I'm like, okay, so the price has risen. When, when that car came out, it was like, wasn't it like thirty thousand dollars in like nineteen ninety? No, 1990? I don't think it was ever that cheap when it was. It new. was, but it was cheap, and it, it was compared, so good. Compared, yeah, compared to a Mercedes or BMW of the era, yes, it was definitely cheap. And it didn't break like those cars, and it yes. wasn't haphazardly assembled. It was like affordable, not cheap. It yeah, was it was. I mean, it was just. It was a much better value <laughs> there than a German, <laughs> right? And so I look at it now, and I'm like, well, it's it's still it's still competitive with the S class and the seven series that it's always competed with. But now it's like one of the gang kind of where it, it's not that undercutting them. It, the Genesis does this now. Um, and, and the, the Kia K900 to a certain degree um, where they offer that the sort of L, early LS recipe where it's, it's less expensive, full of, of all the features, all the nice materials engineered. Well, um, so it's almost like Lexus doesn't have anything to prove anymore with it, but I almost wonder if it's also sort of lost some of that, some of that original LS spirit. Like I see an early LS, the first couple of generations, and they still just have a presence to me that the, the newer ones kind of blend in. Like they look like it could be an LS, could be an Avalon or, or yes, mm. something. Know, they, maybe it's just the, the early ones were kind of bland. 
plugins. They were bland, so maybe it's again, maybe it's just and, me. And according to the font of all human knowledge, known as Wikipedia, uh, it did actually have an initial starting price of thirty-five thousand dollars. So you were you're right. I thought it was more it was, than that. It was close. Wow, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any probably went but out the door. For I, I remember, you know, driving that, you know, first generation LS. You know, I was working at GM at the time. Uh, it was Bodie, wasn't it? Hmm? It was Bodie, wasn't it? It was kind of it was, it was Bodie, but man, was it quiet. I mean, yeah. it was silent in there. Yeah. You didn't well, that's, that's right. They had one of the ads where they recorded like a little guitar concerto in it at like 50 miles an hour. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, there was the other ad, you know, where they had the champagne glasses on the engine, sitting right. on the engine as it was running, you know, right. they were pouring champagne into it. You know, there was no vibration. And, and there was another and one with uh, a ball bearing that yes. they ran down the, the, the body gaps. Yeah. Yeah. And then as good as those ads were, all of them make me think of the, uh, the Saturday night live ads from the seventies where they perform a bris in the back of the car. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just, I wonder if it's, it must be just me. Like if you guys still feel like the, the LS hits the mark, then it's just the end's problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it does in a lot of ways. Now, if only they would give it a decent, you know, interface for the infotainment system, then, you know, it would be a nice car. I it's gotta be coming. Toyota has to know that it's just, their system is not good. Yeah. They, they, they are aware that, that nobody likes the trackpad. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I, nobody likes the Acura trackpad either. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I was thinking you really? that. I do. I like the Acura trackpad. Yeah, but I you're weird. We've established well, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do okay. see more people coming around to my view that touchscreens do not belong in cars. So I definitely agree thing. that touchscreens do not belong in cars. And the car that I got this week, really, like I got it today. And I, I didn't want to talk about it on the podcast. And I won't because I, I haven't wrestled it to the ground yet. But, oh, <laughs> Which I one? See, Such I don't see that at all, though. I mean, look at what Porsche is doing. Look at the the screens on the Audi. I think it's actually you can have screens, but like it's important to not have important stuff in the screen. Like I shouldn't have to tap a touch screen and then like press little fake not buttons <laughs> so I can adjust the fan speed. No, I I kind of agree. I agree that we have to, we still have to have knobs. There's certain buttons yeah. that need to be there. And it's I, not an acceptable answer. Well, you should just set it in automatic. No, screw you. I'm paying for the thing. The thing should obey. <laughs> and the other thing. <laughs> oh, we've gone down this road already. <laughs> right. There is no sanity clause. <laughs> PG&E, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, you know, the main uh, utility that serves Northern California and, and Southern California Edison, um, both you know, recent months have given warnings that they would... Uh, you know, if fire, you know, if there were uh, conditions that could lead to potential wildfires, they were going to start doing preemptive power shutdowns, um, you know, because one of the, the big fire last year, I think it was the Paradise Fire last year, was actually started by right. a down power line that that triggered that fire. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know that um, those high high voltage lines can actually give off sparks. Yeah, like, well, when when if they get too close to each other, you know, if they start touching or, uh, you know, or, if, you know, if a line falls, you know, that can spark off a fire. And so, um, you know, this week, you know, there was a forecast for very high winds in Northern California and, you know, very dry air and, and dry conditions out there. 
And uh, so this morning, you know, we're, we're recording on Wednesday evening, October 9th. Uh, this morning, PG&E actually did their first preemptive uh, blackout, their first preemptive power shutdown. And this morning, this morning they shut, cut off power to 500,000 homes and businesses north of the San Francisco Bay, you know, from Marin County all the way up and well up into northern uh, California and uh, across towards the Central Valley. And over and, to Sacramento because my niece, yeah, yeah was affected and, by it. And then, you know, uh, they expanded the area this afternoon, uh, you know, as the most recent thing I saw was over 800,000 homes and businesses were without power. Uh, so, you know, and, the, you know, one of the things that came out of this uh, as well is, um, you know, prior to the power shutoff, Tesla sent out a notification to all their owners to make sure that they fully charged their cars before uh, the power went out, because, you know, otherwise they might not be able to afterwards, you know, unless their their home was on solar. Uh, so, um, you know, this was. Uh, you know, this is one of the potential downsides of having an EV. If you are not off the grid, if, you know, if you don't have some other source of power like solar, you could be stuck for a while, you know, without being able to charge your car. Yeah, but I, I think it's not that much different than when anytime we have, you know, we get the snowpocalypse mornings, right? Every mm-hmm. winter and they're like, fill your gas tank. Because um, if the power's out, you can't, can't pump gas either. So it's certainly, I think you're, you're a little more on that, that razor's edge with an EV because they just don't have as much energy as a car with a full tank of gasoline. Um, there's just more energy in the gas. Uh, whereas, you know, the EV, I think is, you know, you need to make sure that's topped up so you can get a couple hundred miles away if you need to. Um, where if you have a, you know, three gallons of gas, you're going to be able to get far enough away right and you know at uh, a gas station you know you know some gas stations have generators you know to power their pumps you know so they yeah, can keep pumping gas even if the power is out uh so you know there there are solutions and you know uh again you know today elon musk uh tweeted out that you know they're going to be working to add battery storage and solar to all of their uh, supercharger stations which eventually will help, but he also tweeted out the same thing two years ago. Um, and they've made almost no progress on that in the two years since. In fact, I saw something interesting, uh, this evening that, um, let's see, somebody actually calculated, um, you know, how many solar panels would be required for a supercharger station. Um, it takes about 300 panels to produce about a hundred kilowatts, you know, and, the current version two superchargers, each charger, each charging station, each charger charge point itself puts out about a hundred kilowatts. So, you know, some of the bigger superchargers with 24 stalls would require 7,200 solar panels. So that's how much physical space would that. So we're we're not, that's, that's a lot of space. You know, we're we're not talking about just having an awning over the chargers. You know, you, you need a significant amount of real estate, to get enough power to power these chargers uh, at their normal rate. You know, I mean, and then when it's cloudy. <laughs> well, even when it's cloudy, you can still, yeah, you know, solar panels good. will still generate, uh, they'll still generate power just, you know, at a lower rate. And, you know, the other thing is that, um, you know, if you equip the charging stations with uh, stationary storage, stationary batteries, you know, then, you know, when it, when it is sunny, you know, you can peak that up, you know, so you don't, 
you don't necessarily need to have the full number of panels. You know, you can have fewer panels, but it still takes a lot of panels to power high power, you know, DC fast charging stations. Even if it only takes 80% of those panels, it's still a lot of panels. Yes, that's a lot. That's expensive, but it takes a lot of space. Hey, so we have a question on Twitter. Oh, we do? Okay. Yes. If you could choose a vehicle not sold in the U.S., what would it be and why? Ooh. I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay, go ahead. Well, it's not going to be true in a little while, but the Land Rover Defender. Yeah, I mean, that's coming to the States next year. I know, but it's been a long wait. Yeah. <laughs> there was a zebra was a one that lived in Boston that lived right near Tom and Giselle in Boston. And I just loved it. I I would walk by that street just to go see it, just to visit it. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's funny. The um, the the lawyer that uh, is at the office. Um, he we, So our office is right by there. Uh, it's in Chestnut Hill. And, and so they're like around the corner. But right. he drives a yellow one all winter. Oh. a yellow defender. It's amazing. Okay, so what would you do? I'd do a Suzuki Jimny. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> fun. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> they're just—they're so neat, and they're—they're they're just, yeah. Sam Ford Focus I'm, ST wagon. Oh, that's, that's also a good nice. choice. Yeah, that is a good choice. That there was there was a Toyota there was a Toyota pickup truck that I used to see all the time in Saudi. Um, oh yeah. That's the Hilux. Super, is it the Hilux? I think so. Those and are the ones they sell overseas. It's definitely not here. And it's, right. it's, it's just not. The, it's kind of like the Tacoma, I guess. But it's not. I don't know. Right. And they yeah, were usually like camouflaged and decked out. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the pickup of choice of rebel armies everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're reliable. <laughs> they are. They're, they're tough and you know, they're durable. They're reliable. And, you know, they're they're relatively inexpensive. You know, you can keep them running forever. And, you know, there's you know, a, there's a whole, machine guns on the back. There, there is a whole rabbit hole. You can go down with that. And it goes back like decades. It, 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 thinking about like motorized uh, war material. Right. Like that's where Jeep, the Jeep came from. Right. And but the Jeep was a, very popular with uh Axis powers. If they could swipe Jeeps, they would, because the Kubelwagen was a piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and and just like the tanks, like the the, the Soviet T thirty four tanks were way way more impervious than than the German tanks. So okay, just stuff. Back to the yeah. question at hand. The yeah, other sorry. one, the other one I would do is the Volkswagen Scirocco. Uh, it's out of production now. <sighs> that doesn't count, though. Like you can still get one. Yeah, I know, but they were never. But the new ones were never sold in the states. That, I was disappointed by that car. That was my prom car. I went to the prom in that car. What, what, First like generation a, like, or second gen? I don't remember. I don't know. Was what it the year? more angular one? Was, no, no, no. Not what year was the prom? It, what year was the Scirocco? Oh, it was in the eighties. <laughs> no, the Scirocco. Yeah, <laughs> I, I won't. I won't put you on the spot with the prom. But. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so the Scirocco came out in seventy-seven, I think. So. It was newer than that. Yeah. And so they did a second generation, I think, that started in like 82. Yeah. It was yeah, wrong headlights are square. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> I love okay. that we're trying I was to busy. I was busy to, trying to figure out my prom dress. <laughs> <laughs> I was much more of a girly girl then. 
So that would be that would be my my second choice. <laughs> okay, that's not a that's a good choice. Yeah, especially especially I mean I, either one of them. You know, they're both based off the first gen. You know, the Mark One Golf platform. You know, which was a a really fun platform to drive. And you know, if you got one of those, like the the you uh, get it with the sixteen valve. Yeah, or or even even the earlier, you know, the, the original GTI engines. You could, I, I can't remember if they were. I think they were a GL. I don't know if they were a GLI or a GTI, but they had essentially a you know the Scirocco with a GTI powertrain in it, you know, and the GTI suspension setup. And, you know, those those would be a hoot. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. Okay, back to uh, what we were talking about. Um, so. <laughs> Thank you to William Malley for the question. ADAS and, uh, you know, automation and, and stuff. Hey, we um, just complained about this for a little while. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> and, you know, just to tie into that, you know, AAA, you know, did a, a study recently. They tested a bunch of vehicles uh, with, you know, uh, various ADAS systems, you know, adaptive cruise and lane keeping and, and especially automatic emergency braking. And basically they found, and, and pedestrian detection, they found that most of these systems did not work nearly as well as they expected them to. So, you know, I guess the, the, the main thing I'd want to say is that, you know, all of these systems, you know, are, you know, none of them are foolproof. You know, all of them have limitations, you know, some pretty severe limitations on what they can do, where they can do it, how well they can do it. And you cannot count on, you know, just because your car may be equipped with some of these systems, um, especially things like AEB and collision alert, just because they're equipped with them, you know, think of it as a, you know, as a nice bonus if it works, but don't count on it. You know, well, you I are still there's... in control of the vehicle. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the AAA um, piece points out that the naming is stupid because yes. it's misleading. But also, there's a real education component, um, it's, and that puts some of the burden on the delivery process at the dealers. And some dealers are really good about this, where they'll walk you through. But most are not all the tech in the car. Yeah, right. It that's it, it, more of a premium deal. So if you're buying that that fancy Audi or BMW or the Lexus LS, you're probably going to get walked through that stuff. But if you're buying the Nissan Rogue with ProPilot Assist, I think that's what it's called. Or yeah. In, anyway. Yeah, even profile. we don't know the names and like that's that's part of the problem when you get like branding involved and you know branding is trying to really quickly convey the benefit it it overreaches you know we wind up with stuff called autopilot yeah <laughs> it's not well, and and um, you know to their credit nissan you know at least in north america does call it ProPilot assist right yeah you know, and, and volvo calls theirs pilot assist you know it's it's not meant to take over right um, and, but i think also like people don't it's just like the early days of ABS where mm -hmm. people had a weird idea about what it could do. And they'd be like, I can tailgate. I can do all this stuff because I have ABS, which actually like is the opposite of how ABS works. And you have to explain like, no, ABS actually lengthens your stopping distance. In some us. conditions. It, right. Because it's, it's going to pulse. The, the benefit is you can steer which was not possible with a locked wheel. So um, there's, there's possibilities. You have to, you have to experience them. You have to trigger the emergency braking. You have to trigger the, the like, go out and try it all out. And that's, that's kind of hard to do with ADAS. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's the fundamental problem with relying on, you know, dealers, you know, to explain this stuff. 
just sitting there in the showroom or even sitting in the car and having them walk you through what these things do does not tell you how it does it or, you know, or how well it does it. You know, I think, you know, this is, this is a fundamental issue. You know, uh, people often don't get to experience these, a lot of these, uh, especially the most important features like AEB until it's too late. Well, yeah. And, and when it happens, when you trigger that system, it it flusters the driver who's not expecting you or not experienced right. with it because it starts flashing lights at you and beeping and you don't know what's going on. And, and that, that's that's one of the problems we had with ABS in the early days. You know, people would the first time ABS got triggered, you know, it's like all of a sudden the pedal, the brake pedal is pulsing and, you know, people, you know, took their foot off the brake. Oh, yeah, and they and they know were, what to the do. systems were loud, too. That's right. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, how many of the dealers, while they may have had the training or had an example, how many have actually been used the system? To your point, like that, that they're familiar enough to explain it and and to kind of cover all the bases of all these different things that are going to happen to you in this car and all those bells and whistles and vibrations and haptic feedback and blah, 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 all this stuff coming at you at once. Yeah, oh, that's a real problem. And it's all, all right. different. Every brand is different. And so you have a and, multi-line and it, dealer. Good luck. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, they, they don't all work the same and they all have different branding, different brand names. And, I've you know, I've written about this in the past, you know, that. We really need to standardize these names. I mean, just ACC is an example. You know, you got, you know, I think Hyundai calls it smart cruise control. Um, you know, Toyota calls it an intelligent cruise control. You know, you have all these different names for essentially the same function. And there's, you know, variations in how they work. You know, but, you know, if we at least consolidated on the names, like we've, you know, we've done in the past with ABS and traction control, you know, then we could, that would that would be a step in the right direction, but we can't even seem to do that. Um, you know, and then you know, on top of that, you know, you've got the 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 names that kind of imply that it's more than it is. And that's actually, you know, going back to the the Lexus for a moment, that's actually one of the the nice things I liked about that when I was looking through the the specs, their um, their lane centering system and you know the the adaptive cruise control. Their 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 branding for it, while it is unique Toyota branding, it's actually called Copilot Assist or, or co co driving assist. I think uh, Ford calls theirs Copilot Assist. And in both in both cases, you know, it's you know, it's implying that it's there to work right. with you, not to take over from you. Which well, is the, you know that I think that's in, crucially important. You know to you know and and Tesla is far and away the worst at this. At you know creating this this impression with their customers that you know they're selling a, a self-driving system when it's not it's a driver assist it's meant to augment you not not to take over from you yeah that, and i think that the co-pilot thing still implies i think that it's there's a level of automation that's it's not actually there and it's it's, just, it's a thorny problem it, think, it is yeah and we i think with that right now they're being almost evangelized as if as competitive advantages as opposed to safety systems. So like to your point, Sam, about ABS and you know traction control, like it's very specific. We know what these things are called, but right now, because everyone has branded it their own and that somehow it's better than the next system when in fact it's actually the exact same thing. But we require so much of the consumer to do their own research and even then they may not really understand what each thing is because you have to learn it all over again, whatever they're called. And so I think, 
you know, it would be nice if we could sort of back away from it being used as a marketing <laughs> leverage and instead being used for what it actually is, is, is a, a feature that should be standard, like rear cross traffic alert and whatever the things that they call them. But I think that would be a good thing. Yeah, uh, I well, agree. That's, that's, what, that's what we're here just, for. To, to explain exactly. To <laughs> just listen to our podcast because you're never gonna. It's never gonna happen when you're trying to sell cars in such a competitive market. Never, they're never gonna get their naming straight. They're always gonna confuse you. So you buy the thing, right? You know, this is a really good sort of segue into uh, the issues of stuff of tech being oversold. Where uh, over the last couple of weeks, we saw Smart Summon roll out with Tesla, um, and it's very clearly beta software being tested. Oh by the yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Have you seen any of the oh videos? Oh my gosh! Rebecca? I I saw I saw a couple of videos. I saw the one where the car almost just it, it didn't stop. Just barely missed a car. Just barely down missed the, the car. Right? They were in a, in a parking lot, and then the other one that was actually really sweet but kind of funny was when the older guy ran after the car. Yeah. Did you see that one? <laughs> yeah, I saw those both. Yes. And I mean it was very sweet of him. <laughs> and but um but yeah, obviously it's really egregious and it is just so irresponsible. And what's the point? Like, well, that's, uh, well, I'll, that's I'll tell question. you what the point is. Um, you know, when uh when Tesla has been selling full self-driving for the last couple of years, that full self-driving package, they have not actually been able to book that revenue to their bottom line. It's deferred revenue until they actually deliver the feature they're getting the cash but you know on their their income statement they they can't book it as as revenue yet it's deferred revenue and well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time, if they're getting the cash where are they putting the cash if they can't put it on their it's if it's not it's, revenue it, are they holding it, it in escrow i don't um, get well no they're 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 using it but um you know it doesn't count towards their net income yet well they don't have net income <laughs> <laughs> they, well, have net they, they, they have negative net income <laughs> so um you know it, it's 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 accounted for as deferred income you know and then when they actually deliver the feature then they count then they add it to their bottom line net income oh so, that seems shady right off the bat well i mean actually you know this you know that's that's not uh you know it's not an uncommon practice in a lot of areas you know when 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 you're when you're taking a deposit for something, you know, or taking payment for something that you haven't delivered yet, you know, you don't count that towards your profit. Um, you know, that's just that's just the way it works. You still get the cash, you know, so you have the cash available to work with. Right. Okay. So count, they're basically, it's like a, it's it's However, a way to raise the money to deliver the thing. Right. So, um, but now that they're actually delivering these features, you know, that they added, you know. Autopilot navigate on autopilot uh, late last year. Now they're adding, um, you know, this uh, smart summon, and those are counted to, you know as features of their full self driving. And you know, so each time they add, you know, one of these features, roll out one of these features, then you know they can take a chunk of that. Depending on when you bought full self driving, it might have been three thousand or five thousand or six thousand dollars. They can take a chunk of that revenue. And count it toward you know as current revenue towards their bottom line, and I think that it's totally not a coincidence that they happen to do this you know um, you know less than two weeks before the end of the quarter, so they can count this this deferred revenue towards their bottom line on their third quarter earnings. 
which are going to be announced in a week and a half. Which are going to be a bloodbath otherwise? Uh, wow. Yes. Okay, so basically uh, then they've rolled this out in beta form for accounting purposes. Yes. So that they can they can put more money toward more cash towards their bottom line. That's that's disgraceful, unspeakable. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, well, I mean that's typical Tesla. They they've also like their deliveries are up too though, right? Like they they they're not at the level they, they were want to be, but just barely up over Q three. But they were short of what was expected for Q three, or just barely up over Q two. I mean, um, they you know they were up by. I think less than a thousand units, but their their mix, their, vol- their volume mix was, you know, based on all estimates, was actually significantly worse than in the past. Their Model S and X sales were down. Model Three total volumes were up, but the mix shifted significantly from the higher margin, you know, dual motor uh, long range units to like the short range plus units. Or standard range plus units. So does have, that indicate that there's pent up demand for that cheaper Model Three? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, at least some some degree of it, you know, or you know that they you know they were able to you know to discount them. Plus, you know, we saw you know in the last month you know through September that they were you know piling on all kinds of incentives. You know, they don't do rebates in the traditional sense, but you know they would you know they were they started offering unlimited supercharging again, and you know various other incentives to get people to buy so yeah. you know they managed to eke up a slight increase eke out a slight increase in volume and in, in total unit volumes but it's uh, all the expectations are that their actual revenues for the quarter are actually going to be down even though their volumes were up because the transaction prices are expected to be down by several thousand dollars compared to the prior quarter yeah and it's interesting what you say about the the mix. Like, just anecdotally, I see more Model Threes than any other Tesla on the oh, road. Yeah. yeah, I mean they've sold vastly more. Yeah, they're very popular. So I yeah. wonder if there's just like there's virtually no demand for the S to the X right now. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, demand has has really declined substantially, both here in the U.S. and also overseas. You know, if you look at the um, registration numbers for, you know, like Norway, you know, where Tesla was huge in Norway for a long time. Um, you know, and you know, the, the model three is actually selling pretty well there right now, but you know, S and X sales have just cratered over there. But ha- Didn't they take a lot of the incentives off the government incentives off there though? No, not in Norway. It was in one of the Scandinavian countries. I thought, uh, was- I think, I think it was, uh, the Sweden? Netherlands. Finland? And the ne- okay. Oh, wow. yeah. just, we're just going to name them all. But, S and X sales are down significantly. They scaled back on the incentives though. And that's, yeah. and that's going to impact it. Well, that's, that's going to bite here in the U S too. Oh yeah. Oh, and, for sure. And it's already, it's already biting here in the U S um, you know, and that's, that's believed to be, you know, the combination of, you know, the cheaper model three that gets, you know, similar performance and, you know, similar capabilities to the, the S uh, you know, and the fact that you can't get the the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit on the S and the X anymore, or or even on the Model Three for that matter, you know, has pushed people towards the lower priced models, uh, because you know the, the fact is EVs are still more expensive than internal combustion engines. Yeah, and and now we've got um, really formidable competition showing up as well. Yeah, I mean, with the Taycan and 
Um, there's going to be e-tron. more stuff that's going to be announced next month yeah, the at the e-tron. LA Auto Show. Uh, there'll be a, several new uh, EVs announced that, you know, that are really going to be directly targeting uh, Tesla. Um, and uh, we'll talk about those in the coming weeks. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot more competition coming. Yeah. So, well, okay. So summon. If, if, you, if, you, have, if you have a Tesla, please don't use smart summon. Um, I, and, and so we talked about this in Slack just briefly. It was like they have uh, um, all the, the sort of the screens you have to click through. Right. And it's like, well, don't use it unless you're in a private parking lot. And yeah, so they have, they have to be more than the usual caveats. Feet. You know, be, you have to be within, you're supposed to be within line of sight of the car, no more than 200 feet away. Um, you know, only in private parking lots or, or driveways, um, you know, and when there's no pedestrians around. So even if a that set of conditions never exists, B. Well, uh, but like, even if they did exist, there's there's nothing that Tesla does to actually enforce those conditions. Well, y- yes. And if you're just a couple hundred feet from the stupid car, looking at how slow this thing is, like it just, just it's it's very cautious. Just, when just walk to the car, even right, if just, you have to run through the rain, just run through the rain. It's, it's just a get novelty. The damn car. It's a yeah. novelty. But, but I mean, we we, shouldn't be and, and humans like, are not rational, participants. So they, they, they go for novelty. <laughs> I yeah, but we like I, I did not sign up to participate in some rich jerks like uh beta test amusement yeah beta yeah. Test. i was like no you test, test it on your estate or something get a, get away from me and, and you know even even videos you know showing people using it you know on a private driveway where you know there, there's one video you know that i saw of you know somebody backing it out of the main part of their driveway you know going forward into you know another <laughs> part into the garage and, and it's you know going across <laughs> the grass and everything you know, these things are, you know, running across, you know, they can't seem to distinguish grass from pavement, you know, running over curbs, you know, almost running into people. There's been numerous, you know, reports of, you know, these things, you know, actually hitting other cars, you know, not near, not just near misses, but actually hitting other cars or hitting the edge of a, hitting the, you know, the garage door frame, you know, and scraping up the side of the car. Which is great if you own a Tesla, because that's going to be real fun. With their, get, their trying reputation to get parts. for service, yeah, and get yeah. repairs. And this, so this was the Twitter fight I got in with a you know someone when it like the first weekend we were seeing all the videos, um, and it was like that's that's really that that is irresponsible, and it should be better regulated, and it should not be on the market because what's going to happen is that car you're gonna you're gonna find um, it's going to fail. In, you know, with with one of the set of circumstances that it's least good at detecting. So it's going to hit a child or an animal or an old person or something. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's going to be tragic, <laughs> like extra tragic. You know, <laughs> like yeah. if a Tesla hits me, that's one thing. But if it hits my kids, that's worse. Right. Like. Right. And, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, the see. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has completely abdicated its responsibility for regulating not just Tesla, I mean, Tesla in particular, you know, in general, oh, but, right. you know, all, all of these automation systems in, you know, in total, you know, they're, they're not doing anything, you know, that's, you know, I mean, they, not that they were doing a whole lot, you know, in the prior administration, but even less now. Well, there was, there was some sort of, um, there was a, a decision that they made about something uh, where they said like, it's, it's the feature is this, not that. Um, and I forget what exactly it was, but it was just basically like how it's classified by the automaker. <laughs> you guys are NHTSA. Like, 
tell call call nonsense on that. Come on. Yeah. Uh yeah. And and uh, so now that we sound like proper Luddites, um like th- this the technology and pushing it is is great. Um I, I do wish that our 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 regulatory system could catch up to it because I, I do think that it, A with the misleading naming and just the completely irresponsible like foisting of this stuff on the uninvolved public is is dangerous and like bad things are poised to happen and uh i don't i don't know what happens when that stuff does happen other than like people shrug and like well it's the price of progress and that's not true yeah i mean traditionally you know for example in in healthcare you know when they've been testing new drugs you know when people participate in drug trials or you know in any other kinds of experiments there's supposed to be informed consent you know the participants are supposed to be or they're supposed to be informed about what the risks are and what you know what can happen and you know they're supposed they're only supposed to give consent after they have been properly informed the reality you know is that you know especially with this stuff almost nobody really understands what this technology can do what it's really capable of what it's not capable of and worse you know it's bad enough that the owners of these vehicles you know, are nominally giving their consent without really understanding the the risks. But on top of that, you have all of these other bystanders around that are not, they did not consent to be part of any experiment. And, you know, it's wrong to be running these tests, you know, around people who did not consent to be part of your, you know, your beta test. I feel like of the three of us, um, I feel like Rebecca runs the highest risk of getting run over by one of these things. Because <laughs> they are, they're a rich person's bauble and you live where the highest concentration of rich people is out of the three of us. I may come in a close second at work because Chestnut Hill is a Tony, Tony yes, area. Yes, it but. is. It's very posh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, uh, it's actually surprising I, because I think most of the examples that we see, though, of really egregious behavior is in California. I mean, because there's so many of them out there. And there are also people that I think their mindset is they have a comfort level with this, you know, with with adopting technology so early. I did uh, notice that there is this like Stockholm syndrome where they make excuses for the stuff like oh, in the videos where it's like clearly not working. And they're like, oh, well, it got here. It's like, but, and, yeah. and, and somebody pointed this out on Twitter. They're wandering like, around like a, through the parking lot like a drunken sailor. <laughs> yeah. But every, every tweet starts out with, I love my Tesla, but yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it yeah. goes into a litany of issues. But that's but that's the early adopter mindset. Right. Is yeah. You know, and, and I don't have an issue with developing this technology and, you know, rolling it out when it's ready. But the thing is, you need to you need to develop it, you know, offline, you know, but, you know, on a test track and and, and controlled conditions and test it and validate it and make sure it's really ready before you ship it to customers. Absolutely. You don't ship it to customers just because you want to book some deferred revenue. Well, and I think that's one of the issues. I think you, I, I think you do, though. You see, yeah. But this is one of the Wait. issues with Tesla all along, and with auto autopilot. And I'm, I'm yeah. making those, you know, finger quotes because they did ship it out to people, and they are using not only owners but the general public as their as their test. Cycle. Well, the, the so, owners, like that's the crazy thing to me is the owners are like willing. 
to do it. And like, but I, they don't I perceive suppose- it. Look, look at the guy that look at the guy that tragically lost his life and. On Which one? Multi- <laughs> on multiple occasions. There was another one recently. Too. This was it. This was out in Mountain View on multiple oh, yeah. occasions on his commute. Walter Wang. His, oh, yeah. His autopilot malfunctioned. Right. It did the same thing over and over and at over. At the same again. location. At this exactly. It, at the same location. At exactly the same point on the road. It's like running over the same pothole over and over and over again. And. and but he did it anyway. And wondering why you keep bending a wheel. Right. You know, and it's just, it's shocking. It's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's tragic. It really is. And, and it's, it is a Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote an article earlier this year about that after his family, uh, this is Walter Wang, uh, who died last year in Mountain Yes, View, exactly. After his family filed a wrongful death suit against Tesla. And while I have total sympathy for the family, you know, and their loss, you know, at the bottom line is, and I, and I think that Tesla was totally irresponsible in shipping this product at the, the bottom line is if you actually buy this product and you try it and you know, it doesn't work and then you keep using it anyway, ultimately you have to take some responsibility for that. You know, yes, Tesla needs to be held accountable. But so does Walter Wang and, you know, and any other user that gets into a crash because of technology that does not work and they know it does not work going into it. You know, in his case, you know, he not only was he aware of it, he had actually reported it to Tesla, you know, and had the car, took the car in on multiple occasions to have it checked out. And he still continued to use the system. It's the overserved, it's the overserved mentality. Right. Yeah. I was overserved. Yeah. And, I mean, that, you know, right. It's, it's tragic yeah. and it ends in tragedy. Yeah. And, you know, to, you know, before everybody accuses us of just bashing on Tesla, which obviously we are, and I think for <laughs> right, rightful reasons, we're, you know, we're, the, the same, th- yeah. the same thing applies to other automakers. And, you know, we referenced it before when we were talking about, about ADAS, you know, a lot right. of these ADAS systems do not work as well as they should. And, you know, I think that it behooves automakers to actually make these systems better before they put them put them on vehicles, you know, because I think that if you, you know, if you sell somebody a car that you say has automatic emergency braking on it, but it only works in broad daylight, um, you know, when, you know, weather conditions are good and, you know, you have a, a pedestrian walk in front of you that's at least five foot, six inches tall, you know, or whatever the, the criteria might be, you know, and you're only going less than 20 miles an hour, you know, come on, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, every automaker should be held to a higher standard with this stuff. Right. And, and you're right. It's not just a Tesla thing. Cause you remember in the Nissan Versa, Sam, what was the issue that we had with that? Uh, well, it was a Nissan Versa. The Versa. <laughs> Right. Um, that's, that's yeah, issue, I'm trying right to there. remember now. Uh, Actually, the no, new versus it, it, it didn't nice engage, then. right? There was a speed issue, like it, and and I've run into this too, where oh, yeah, some of the systems give up at low speed because right, they don't have the, right, the they set don't of sensors operate. to do low speed. Yeah, and they'll they'll maybe flash one thing at you, and, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, what just happened? Oh, I think yep. I think Sam, I think I I had put on I was driving and I had put it on. Um, I had put it on adaptive cruise control or something and it was yeah. actually 
you know, it, 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 it was one of those, like, all the moons hadn't aligned properly. I had not <laughs> aligned them all properly. <laughs> yes. And so the system all of a sudden wasn't working. But it was not clear that it wasn't working. And so, you know, and there's certainly been vehicles recently that, you know, where the lane, you know, certain lane departure warning or some of the some of those ADAS don't work because you're not going, quote, fast enough, you know. Right. And most of the lane keeping systems will only start detecting the lanes when you're above about 35 miles an hour. Right. And so, you know, it's, and again, it's, it's an education thing. And once you know that you're fine, but you have to know that. And sometimes you learn a very expensive and difficult lesson. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so with that, we've been rambling on for a good long while. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we should we should wrap it up. Um, we answered some questions. We talked about a bunch of important stuff. Um, I'm, ha- I'm headed out this weekend, actually, to uh, to Radwood. Uh, so if anybody's still actually with us and listening, Radwood's really cool, and you should check it out. Um, they're finally doing one in Boston, and I was going to take the Crown Victoria. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to pick up pizza, and it died in the intersection on the way home. So Not the pizza, got- the Crown Vic. It's the, the Crown Vic. Everybody <laughs> got cold pizza, and the Crown Vic came home on a hook. Um, and it hasn't uh, has not started since. I was checking fuel pressure, doing all the diagnostics. I think it has a dead fuel pump, which is not entertaining on that car. So I was going to yeah. bring it to Radwood. It's not going to Radwood. We're just going <laughs> to show up with the media car. It'll be fine. Um, well, I'll be in Pittsburgh this weekend. I'm I'm in Sault Ste. Marie right now, and Friday afternoon I'm driving to Pittsburgh to speak at a conference on Saturday. That is a long drive. That's like nine hours or something. Maybe well, not I'm not driving from Sault Ste. Marie. I'm oh, driving from okay. from Detroit, so it's only about four and a half hours from there. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say Sault Ste. Marie is like. I'm flying back from here tomorrow. Yeah, that's uh, there's, there's a lot of across. Yes. <laughs> to do. <laughs> well, down, down, and then across. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'll be in Pittsburgh if anybody uh, wants to look me up. And I shall be celebrating another trip around the sun on Sunday. <laughs> oh, congratulations. congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> mine, mine is coming up soon, but we won't talk about that either. Yeah, exactly. I shall be 39 <laughs> again. <laughs> you know, and that's that's a hey, fine... I'm old. I'm, you know, I'm 53. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you're a guy. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right, everyone. All right. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.